open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from 4 to 6 at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, 6 to 8, on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone kept positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THCT. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. After work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block from Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Little Caesars are crazy.
with a road on it. And on the south side of the levee road is the home of a family called Love. And every once in a while, the, the water tries to reclaim that part of the bay and runs over the levee and floods. And even though over the years, the Love family has put their house up on posts. Sometimes they still have to jump on a rowboat and row away to dry terra firma. Regrettably also, the, the rising waters also seem to be a little bit too much like the rising costs of housing. Land and homes have gotten to a point where most people can't afford them. And unfortunately, I've had to watch uh, too many of my friends move away from the area because they couldn't afford to buy a home or rent anymore. So this is the Levy Road song. So running along the south side of it, is a levee with a road on it. And on the south side of the levee road is the home of a family called Love. And every once in a while, the, the water tries to reclaim that part of the bay and runs over the levee and floods. And even though over the years, the Love family has put their house up on posts, sometimes they still have to jump on a rowboat and row away to dry terra firma. Regrettably also, the, the rising waters also seem to 
be a little bit too much like the rising costs of housing. Land and homes have gotten to a point where most people can't afford them. And unfortunately, I've had to watch uh, too many of my friends move away from the area because they couldn't afford to buy a home or rent anymore. So this is the Levy Road song. Long-haired preachers come out every night I try to tell you what's wrong and what's right But when asked about something to eat uh, They will answer in voices so sweet You will eat, you will eat by and by In that glorious land in the sky Way up high, work and pray Live on hay Sky when you die, that's the lie. The starvation army they play, and they shout and they clap and they pray. Uh, when they got all your coins on the drum, uh, they will tell you when you're on the bomb. You will eat, you will eat by and by in that glorious land in the sky, way up high, working for. Jump and they shout, I give your money to Jesus, they say, and you lead on that glorious day. You will eat, you will eat by and by, in that glorious land in the sky, where I work and pray, live on hay. You get by in the sky when you die, that's right, working folks of all countries unite. Side by side, we for freedom will fight. Uh, when this world and its wealth we have gained, uh, back to the correctors will sing this refrain. You and me, we by and by. Uh, when you learn how to cook and how to fry, uh, chop some wood, do you good. Yes, that is a lie. Welcome, everybody, to Labor and Love Radio. You will eat by and by in that glorious land in the sky. Another trick they want to play on us. Never mind what's going on down here on Earth. This is the city of man. We all got to get ready for the city of God. You will eat by and by. Famous song by Ralph Chaplin. Uh, <clears throat> Labor Troubadour. Before that, we had the Levy Road song by Charlie Morgan. Brother Charlie Morgan, who just we just recently lost. We got the 
introduction to the Levy Road song, explaining why he compares rising waters to rising prices in Rin. <clears throat> and before that, we got that beautiful Stay High by Brittany Howard, preferred by another brother that uh, we just lost, Earl J. Coleman. He originally asked me for that song. This is the Labor and Love Show, and you're listening to Mutiny Radio, the site of a comedy festival. Mutiny Radio is the capital of the underground comedy scene in San Francisco. Come on down to Mutiny, 2781 21st Street, in the very heart of the mission. And you're listening to the B, that's me, and I'm playing music of social significance and news by, for, and about working people, labor history, labor commentary, you name it, we got it. So come on down to mutiny. What do we got for you today? Well, we're going to go along our... list here. See. Labor notes. Teamsters insurgents plan for a win. John Deere workers get to see a contract before voting on it. Amazing, huh? 2,000 hospital workers strike in Buffalo. Striking Kellogg workers show the country what solidarity looks like. Radio Labor, our worldwide radio connection. American Indian prophet, leader, John Trudell, giving his talk about how our minds are mines. Mother Jones herself, we got a short speech of Mother Jones as she spoke to striking miners in 1920 in Matewan, West Virginia, where striking miners and National Guard, U.S. Army units clashed, actually turned fire on one another. Here's a local one, hospitals base brace for strikes at California workers protest staff shortages. History in two minutes. Five things you should know about racism. Sounds like a lot. We got a lot here. Strike Tober, baby. Nearly 100,000 workers nationwide authorize work stoppages. Okay, well, let's get it started, because we're also going to have poetry readings. We're going to have comedy. All by, for, and about working people. Hopefully, we'll have a phone call from our campus correspondents. We've got a good question for them to deal with today. Let's see what they have to say about that. Right now, though, Radio Labor. Solidarity News on Radio Labor. 
This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 15th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, labor and the global minimum corporate tax rate. Teachers are fighting to win vaccine equity for their colleagues around the world. The Labor Start report about union events and... Is it my accent? Because my hazel eyes and white thick thighs don't tell the story that my appearance hides. This is Radio Labor. For years now, the labor movement has been calling on governments to implement a fairer international taxation system. A step closer to that goal was reached on October 8th when 130 countries agreed to set a minimum corporate tax rate of 15%. Large multinationals would be forced to pay taxes where they conduct business. To find out how the tax would be implemented and what the labor movement thinks of the new scheme, I talked to Pierre Abar. Mr. Abar is the General Secretary of the Trade Union Advisory Committee of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD. The committee operates under its acronym TUAC. I asked Mr. Abar about the minimum corporate tax rate. Alors, as we speak today, globally, there is no minimum corporate tax rate. There are a few jurisdictions where the tax rate is actually at zero. <laughs> in a majority of countries, the tax rate sits in the margin of 20-35%. But as we speak, there is no minimum tax rate. But there has been an announcement of implementing a minimum corporate tax rate. Tell us about that. Yes, a group of 130 countries agreed on a, a new framework that would indeed set a new minimum tax floor. This is the outcome of uh, almost uh, what, 20, 30 years of discussion at the international level. It actually stems back to a report of the OECD that was released in 1998 on harmful taxation that realized that the absence of a minimum tax rate, of a minimum tax floor, was creating a sort of tax raise to the bottom. That report was released, but at that time, no action was taken. At the level of the G20, the group of the largest 20s economy, that there was a need to set a minimum tax law. And this is what was agreed last week, a political agreement. This is not a legal text as we speak. It's meant to transform into a legal requirement, but there is a political agreement covering the vast majority of countries to set the minimum tax floor at 15%. That means that if it is implemented correctly, it will give a right, a secure right for governments to tax back, so to speak, to tax up to 15% in income, which from an economic perspective would fall under uh, the taxing right of that government. So it's a minimum floor of 15%. Why is a minimum corporate tax rate needed? It is needed because... If you don't have a floor, you are creating a very unhelpful, unhealthy tax competition between jurisdictions. We are in a system where business, and particularly wealthy individuals for sure, but businesses, can evade taxation by creating complex corporate structures and thereby evade the uh, taxation of their income in the jurisdictions where it would make sense economically. By setting a minimum floor, you are not resolving all the problems on earth when it comes to aggressive tax planning, but at the minimum, you are giving less opportunity for aggressive tax planning, less opportunity for this unhealthy tax competition 
that takes place between countries, that takes place between, say, Ireland and the United States, that takes place between, say, Hungary and, uh, say, the UK, between China and Germany, and so on. How would this work? It's a political agreement that would allow for a given government to increase taxation of a given business, which internationally uh, this business has a, an effective tax rate of, say, 10% because of the organization of its own business. It would allow for a government to add an additional taxing right of 5%, if it is 10% originally, to reach the minimum tax law of 15% for the operations that economically fall under that jurisdiction. So, in a sense, we are not creating a minimum tax rate. We are creating a right for government, a legal right for government to tax back overseas profits that are profits that fall under that jurisdiction, to tax back those profits up to 15%. The next question is whether 15% is the right rate. Is it too low? And for the labor movement, for a number of unions, for NGOs, it is a floor that is far too low. It should be at the minimum around 20% and not 15%. You mentioned the labor movement. Has labor supported the implementation of a minimum corporate tax rate? Yes, absolutely. Unions will typically raise concern around three unhealthy forms of competition between countries, between nations, between economies. You have the competition on labor standards. This is our bread and butter matter, as we all know, is when you have a process of globalization with two economies with different standards when it comes to labor rights and when, when, you, when you allow two different economies or markets to compete and one of the economies obviously is not respecting the core labor standards. So that's one form of unhealthy competition. And that's a primary form that where the labor movement intervenes. You have obviously a second type of, of unhealthy competition is when you don't have any environmental flaws. And this is also part of the discussion today, making sure that in a global economy, economies can compete with more or less the same environmental standards, standards that are in line with the Paris Agreement's objective to reduce gas emissions. And then, indeed, you have a third form of very unhealthy competition, and that's tax competition. So for the labor movement, it is obviously essential to fight on all three fronts to maintain and promote core labor standards at the very minimum and go beyond that, ensure a decent wage, sustainability and environmental standards, and also obviously to fight against this unhealthy uh, tax competition. Teachers around the world have found themselves not only fighting for quality education, but struggling against the often deadly effects of the pandemic. That is why Education International, EI, used this year's World's Teachers' Day, October 5th, to intensify its efforts for safe working conditions and vaccine equity around the globe. EI is the Global Union for Teachers and Other Educators. It represents 32 million union members in 178 countries. The General Secretary of Education International is David Edwards. He refers to the thousands of teachers who have died during the past year. These are not numbers. They're human beings who lost their lives in service to their students and colleagues doing that which mattered most. The vast majority of them were unvaccinated, despite our demands to vaccinate all teachers. Many of them and many of their colleagues still are teaching under very difficult conditions. We pay tribute to them 
by continuing to fight for better, safer, and more dignified conditions that befit the people who teach the future. We pay tribute to their legacy as part of this whole, which truly is greater than the sum of its individual parts. In many countries, when you are at a school or union gathering or event and you name a teacher, leader, colleague that is no longer with us, the response is presente, present. When we pay tribute to the gift that their lives and their contributions have made, we say the present. We continue onwards, building on that contribution, remembering what we have learned from them and moving forward together about being present. For one another. The president of Education International is the Australian teacher Susan Hopgood. Never has there been such a combined sense of accomplishment and uncertainty, of sorrow and optimism weighing on our hearts and on our mission as teachers. Educators have been present, adapting and improvising at the classroom and community level, working through their unions to forge and direct policies at the systems level and managing the personal challenges unique to so many frontline workers. Through it all, teachers persisted and adapted and maintained our presence in classroom and the community. Likewise, our unions and allies and advocates have been clear about pushing forward on a comprehensive and sustainable path to recovery. We know there is no end to COVID-19 and no safe return to schools for all students without vaccine equity worldwide. As long as vaccine production falls short of meeting the global demand, we will continue to see new waves of the pandemic endanger the lives of our teachers and the future of our children. We know that countries where governments have engaged in meaningful social dialogue with unions have fared much better in the pandemic than countries where educators and their unions were not involved. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of the ongoing battle to free a Canadian trade unionist in Turkey and what's behind the charges he faces. Also amongst our top stories this week were the attack by fascists on the headquarters of Italy's largest trade union centre, the CGIL. Later, we carried stories about the reaction of trade unions around the world, including planning for mass demonstrations of solidarity in countries like Spain, where trade unions also face hostile far-right political parties, some of which have their own paramilitary organizations. Days later, we were still reporting that CGIL's website was under a denial-of-service attack. This suggests a well-planned and strategic attack on the union with considerable backing and expertise. One story that has had a long, perhaps too long, life on our news pages are attempts by employers and governments to make grossly overworked and already underpaid healthcare workers pay the financial price for the pandemic. In countries from Paraguay to Portugal, from Cameroon to Canada, and from the United States to Uruguay, Nurses and medical doctors' strikes are becoming common. By early next week, we may be seeing such strikes underway in as many as 25 or possibly even more countries. Demands for wage rollbacks or freezes are just the latest attack on these workers. In a great many instances, it is pushing even the most dedicated healthcare workers over the edge into taking action. Things are so bad that in many jurisdictions, healthcare workers are unable to take time off work 
and are resigning from their positions in an effort to get some rest. Those who remain at work are now being told that wage cuts are the way that their employers will cover the costs of the pandemic. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found more on the push for menopause leave in the United Kingdom, protests by nurses in Ireland over unsafe working conditions, and the workplace violence that women healthcare workers in South Africa face every day, and how their union is addressing the problem. Our Health and Safety Newswire carried stories about the renewed push to eliminate asbestos from buildings in the United Kingdom and in Zimbabwe, how COVID-related safety concerns are stimulating an increase in union recruitment in Canada, and sadly, another workplace shooting in the United States. Our photo of the week is of the attack on the CGIL offices in Rome. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Manuela Estudillo with My Accent. Is it my accent? Because my hazel eyes and white thick thighs don't tell the story that my appearance hides? Is it my accent? Or is it the dust on my face? What dust, do you ask? The one that seeped through my skin when I tried to rush in, all tight in the back of an illegal coyote car for 40 days with no water, no food, no air, and no way out. And just when I thought I had gotten somewhere, yes, I tell you somewhere because as a fact, I was in the middle of nowhere. I stepped out of that dark, dirty hole, and they took advantage. They took it all. They took my dignity, my identity, my money, but not my accent. And with this accent, I travel a journey from nowhere to somewhere to find the future that was stolen from my ancestors by the government of my new country. And even though that in this country, some of you still laugh at me, because instead of saying party, I end up saying patty, I have an accent, and I recognize it. But here, my people don't want their accents. They hide their culture and erase their past. They change their color to blind their eyes. But I have an accent. And even though that I can change my long, curly brown hair to blonde and change the color of my eyes to green, blue, brown, pink, or red, I don't. No, I won't. And so I'll fight to protect the roots of my race through night and through day because I have an accent. My Accent was produced by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union Canada, the UFCW. And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can listen to our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.com. I'm Mark Bergenstein. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
but it don't make sense when we can't make peace. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world, have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense when you can't make peace.
Clear the way for the prophets of rage. Amarillo, Chuck D, the prophets of rage. For that, one of the most eloquent songs that we've played on this show all time. Willie Dixon's You Can't Make Peace. You can crush any country, you can conquer any country in a matter of weeks, but it don't make sense. It don't make sense if you can't make peace. Before that, I have an accent. They took everything from me. They took my dignity, they took my honor, they took everything, but they left me with my accent. You're listening to Labor and Love Radio, and uh, we're about halfway through our day now. Still have a lot coming up. Francesca Ramsey on racism, labor history in two minutes. Strike wave all over the country. Check on that. Got Willie. Teamster insurgents plan for a win. Here's one about a John Deere, John Deere workers. 10,000 auto workers, members at John Deere will vote on a new contract on Sunday. Unexpectedly, they can see the language of proposed changes to their several hundred-page contract ahead of the vote. 
UAW International posted the language online last night, along with a contract summary and proposed amendments to the pension plan. A tentative agreement, which covers nine locals in Iowa, Illinois, and Kansas, was initially announced last Friday, but the union revealed no details. Workers at the farm equipment manufacturer had expected to have to pick up skimpy highlights documents at their union halls this morning. One highlighter per member, no exception, emphasized one local's Facebook page. Now, why is that? Why does do people who are going to vote on a contract, have to demand to see the contract. It appears likely that member frustration over not being able to see the full language of changes, as well as the high-profile contract rejections by UAW members at Volvo's Virginia truck plant this year, pressured the union into putting more information online. In the 24-page contract summary, UAW bargainers highlight what they view as top gains. These include maintaining the current premium free health insurance plan as opposed to going to a plan requiring them to pay 20% of premiums as Deer threatened. Reinstating the cost of living adjustment, which was eliminated in the previous contract, and an 11% raise over six years. In 2022-24-26, workers will receive 2% lump sum payments instead of wage increases. Now, there's a key, a key point. If you're getting a, a lump sum payment... Okay, that doesn't increase your salary. You might still be making $20 an hour and getting a lump sum payment of, say, a couple hundred a month. But your, your salary stays the same. As list of highlights also mentions pension and retirement improved. That's partially true. For current employees hired since 1997, the pension will go up and not nearly to the top-tier pension levels. Anyone hired November 1st? After November 1st of this year will not be eligible for the normal pension. New hires will be enrolled in a new cash balance plan as well as eligible. So, I mean, there are the points. These are the things that Unions are dealing with now when they go their health plan. Okay? Your cost of living adjustment. Adjustment. Lump sum payments versus wage increases. Pension and retirement. 
company's initial offer presented to members after at their strike authorization vote meetings in September contained a list of concessions. The union had warned that Deere was set on ending the plant closure moratorium, doing away with overtime after eight hours, eliminating seniority-based wage progressions, and many other draconian concessions. Members voted 99% to authorize a strike. Deere appears to have backed down on many of these concessions. Okay, so that's what's happening with John Deere. In Buffalo, New York, 2,000 hospital workers have gone on strike. Live stream video on Facebook catches people hugging their colleagues and friends, cheering, sometimes shaking their heads in seeming disbelief, maybe at their own strike. There's a steady stream of car horns honking solidarity in the background. Better wages are the key demand and closely linked to attracting and retaining enough staff in a corp competitive market. Entry-level respiratory therapists are making $3 an hour more at another chain in town, Kaleida Health. There's a strike against Mercy Health in Buffalo, New York. So we've got strikes there, there, and there. Let's see, there's a local one that I wanted to cover. It's Strike October. Just in general now we're talking. Strike October, baby, from the Real News Network. Nearly 100,000 workers authorize work stoppages. Former Labor Secretary Robert Reich comments... You might say workers have declared a national general strike until they get better pay and improved working conditions. The U.S. is closer than it has been in decades to experiencing a general strike. Reich says, no one calls it a general strike, but in its own disorganized way, it's related to the organized strikes breaking out across the land. Hollywood TV and film crews at Diazzi. John Deere workers, as we read, Alabama coal miners, Nabesco workers, Kellogg workers, nurses in California, healthcare workers in Buffalo. The so-called labor shortage, which we know is really just a shortage of jobs that pay enough, pay us enough to live on, is a powerful bit of leverage workers have over employers right now. Okay. Um, strike season, baby. And... 
Here's the one about the California workers. Hospitals, this is on popularresistance.org. Hospital workers brace for strikes as California workers protest staff shortages. Labor advocates are calling it striketober as weary healthcare workers across California enter the 19th month of the pandemic. Thousands are walking off the job and onto the picket line, demanding demanding more staffing. Strikes and rallies threaten to cripple hospital operations that have been inundated by the COVID-19 Delta surge, as well as patients seeking long-delayed care. More than two dozen hospitals across the state, including Kaiser Permanente, Sutter Health, and USC Keck Medicine, have experienced strikes by engineers, janitorial staff, respiratory therapists, nurses, midwives, physical therapists, and technicians. If you go to any one of the local Kaiser hospitals now, you'll see. Their stationary engineers are on strike. Nearly a third of all California hospitals reported critical staffing shortages. What's happening? Well, a lot of workers realize that there are ways to survive, including stimulus payments, a way to keep paying their rent or to keep in the game without going to to work at a job that can't support you. They're being very choosy about which jobs they take and they go back to. And they're being very choosy about their conditions at work. Money matters when it comes to holding on to workers, workers say, especially because temporary staff brought on for pandemic response often make more than regular employees. In some instances, traveling nurses have been paid $10,000 a week at California hospitals with severe staffing needs. You're paying exorbitant amounts for travelers while the existing workplace makes exactly the same amount as before, a union leader said. Early in the pandemic, Governor Gavin Newsom announced efforts to expand the healthcare workforce through a volunteer health corps. Although tens of thousands signed up, most people didn't have the necessary medical skills. And only 14, 14 nurses worked out. So, what is it? Is it strike? Is it strike time? Seems like it, huh? Okay. Um, Listen to a little Miles Davis. And we'll be back shortly.
little bit from Miles Davis, uh, kind of blue. All right, we're talking about consciousness here. We're talking about being aware of yourself as a worker. We're talking about how it got to be this way. And the way it got to be this way, <clears throat> capitalism came to America <clears throat> in the person of, you guessed it, Christopher Columbus. Just last week we celebrated a holiday which historically has been dedicated to the memory of Columbus and his voyage. But now because people are waking up and looking around and examining these myths <clears throat> that we've been taught and have been reinforced so long that now when we simply tell the truth, it seems reactive, seems revisionist. How about a Native American perspective on the arrival of Columbus? Here's American Indian John Trudell. I guess I'll just start with Columbus. See, I have a real problem about all of this. I mean, see, to me, he was like a virus, a disease. But when I think about it, because I spent a lot of time uh, protesting, trying to figure out how to deal with this disease. But I think that we really need to put serious thought into understanding that we're dealing with a disease. You know, it's like there's this predator energy on this planet. And this predator energy feeds upon the essence of the spirit feeds upon the essence of the human being, the spirit. Now this predator energy can take fossil fuel and, and other resources out of the earth, turn it into fuel to run a machine system. But in order for there to be a need for that system, and in order for that system to work, they have to mine our minds to get at the essence of our spirit. And the same way the external mining takes place, it pollutes, we see now, people understand how it poisons the environment, the water, the air, pollution. The mining of the essence, the mining of the spirit, mining our minds, the pollution from that is all of the neurotic, distorted, insecure behavior patterns that we develop. That's the pollution. Because in order for this predatory system, this disease, to work, we must not be able to use our minds in a clear, coherent manner. Because if we use our minds in a clear, coherent manner, we will not accept the unacceptable. But it's a disease. lives and travels through the mind, through the generations. And it 
it's not just the U.S. It's Western civilization. France, England, Germany. They're not, you know, they're not immune to this. They're just as, in their in their technologic, civilized mindset, they're just as dangerous as the U.S. They're the parents of the of the Americans. America's their child, so they cannot remove themselves from responsibility for the behavior of their child. So, so it's not just the U.S. Everyone likes to point it at the U.S. You know, and that's what makes the other countries so dangerous, because they want to pretend it's not them. The United States isn't the only one that has enslaved its citizens as workers. You know, the United States isn't the only one that's feeding off of the mass of the people. And the United States didn't create the idea. It came from here. In the end, what allows this aggressive behavior to continue is the participation of the citizens of the democracies. You know, they'll turn around and they'll condemn the, the violence of their governments or other systems, but yet they, you know, they'll live off of the fruits of it. Power is something that emanates from us, from the human being. Human physical being, spirit. And power is about that spirit about the being and our relationship to the planet, to the earth, to the universe. This is where our real power connections are. We live in a time where we have been indoctrinated to believe that authority is power. So when we look externally and we see these, that, these ones that would feed off of us and control us, they have, they have defined power from, from the material perception, perception of the human, not of the being. So we look at economic systems as being power, but in reality, the, it, an economic system is basically a, a system of authority. And we look at military systems as being power, but in reality, that's another system of authority. Or religious systems, but these are systems of authority. But, it, it, but we have been programmed into believing that these things are power, and because we have really no influence in these things, no, no real accessibility to these things, and if we believe they have the power, then it doesn't say much for ourselves. So power really is about our relationship to life. As one of our philosophers, you know, as one of our Socrates, he's like Socrates, you know, he thinks and he writes. And, and he's really analyzed the uh, political system and its uh, ambitions and, and we used to have you know people like John you know centuries ago but you know they're few and far between anymore the rains of purification gently flooding memories fill my reason laughing shadows from yesterday weeping to wash the spirit Continue to struggle, resist, be one with the purification reigns. The words, creation's breath of love, reminders of power, committed service for the earth, a people oppressed by the insecurity of the technologic exploiter. The people, the rain, the earth, the wind, struggle together for a common liberty. of Earth. Kids, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmothers, grandfathers, we are all children of Earth.
The earth is our mother. Mother Earth is for all of us. Earth is a living entity. It is not in man's destiny to destroy the earth. That's arrogance. What it, what it is man's destiny to do is destroy civilized man's ability to live with the earth. So we as human beings, if we, use, if we take responsibility for our lives and live our lives in a coherent manner, as coherent as we possibly can anyway, then we will have an influence into curing this disease. But this earth will not allow, the antibiotic will come <laughs> in a planetary sense. If it means open up the ozones and let it, let, it, let it wipe the civilized man out, then the earth will do that. The earth will continue on. See, maybe, maybe we should be developing our loyalty to this planet and this earth and our future, our descendants, more than we should be to governing political systems that have created all these problems. See, but now we have, most people are trying to find solutions to problems, but they're trying to do it within the confines of, the confined abstractions of democracy. And so if they're not willing to think objectively about our responsibilities towards our own descendants, then they will come up with no solutions. They will only perpetuate the enslavement and feeding. ...reconnected me to the earth. I was listening to the voices of life chanting in unison, carry on the struggle. The generations surge together in resistance to meet the reality of power. Mother Earth embraces her children in natural beauty to last beyond oppressor's brutality. As the butterfly floats into life, we are the spirit of natural life, which is forever. The power of understanding, real connections to spirit, is meaning our resistance our struggle is not sacrifice lost. It is natural energy, properly used. Remember the people. Remember sky and earth. Remember the people have always struggled to live in harmony, in peace. Struggle against selfishness and weakness so the people may live as nations. The old ways are hard. The people have always had to work together. Remember, impatient one, remember and live. Do not be afraid of truth. Respect, discipline, share your life so the people may live. Honor sky and earth, honor yourself, honor your relations. Remember, impatient one, the gentleness of time. Grandmother Moon, we love you. We pray for you, for us, and for the invader who just can't comprehend, respect, love, or the balance of life. We do not join the invading madness. From the way they act, it speaks of spirit sadness. Machine money progress is the cause of our common abuse. We see you, grandmother. We feel you. We love you. We know through your reality we will endure. We are one. We pray for you. We pray to you. Grandfathers whispering in the wind, rejoice at the life you are a part of, natural energy bound to natural laws. You will survive this temporary madness imposed upon you. Natural life is longer than oppressors' illusionary insanity. 
Spirits experience human deeds but need not end. This is just one place of changes. Spirit life is forever if you want. The universe is your home. You can survive here. Do not let them kill you. Keep your spirit strong. For distant stars and distant drums are the memories of spirit infancy. Children of Earth, let the spirit live so you can grow in your place in the universe. The ones who knew me, I would like to thank you for putting up with what I never could. It seems the extremes were more than I could bear. Your patience taught me so much. Too many times I learned too slow. At times the understandings were beaten down by insecurity. Your acceptance really was something. The times I hurt myself, bringing it all down on you, you reached out with love and tolerance. You were always there when I needed. You steadied me gently, carrying me into each new day, changing names, changing faces, supporting me, keeping me going.
That last one was Buffy St. Marie um, from her Power in the Blood album, Not the Loving Kind. And uh, we've been playing that pretty regularly. Uh, Buffy St. Marie singing rock and roll sounds good. Before that, we had an extended piece on John Trudell. Prophet, if there ever was one, Native American prophet, talking about how our minds are being sucked out and the virus of capitalism on this earth and living your life, <clears throat> living your life in a logical manner. And in a passionate manner, in a loving manner. <clears throat> As he points out, the earth is not going to die. If there has to be a big hole in the ozone layer and all the people in the world have to die, then that's what will happen. I want to play something now by another kind of prophet. A woman named Mary Jones. Mary Jones was an Irish immigrant, came to Chicago in the 1860s, lost her husband and her children to epidemics, to typhoid epidemics. <clears throat> she had a dressmaking business, <clears throat> excuse me, which was wiped out by the great Chicago fire. There she is now. She lost her whole family. She lost her business. She lost her husband. She's an immigrant. And what did she do? Did she get depressed? Of course she got depressed. But after that, what did she do? She turned herself into a labor activist. She went all around the country giving speeches and presentations, checking in on where there were labor actions. This one is a talk she gave, about five minutes of it, during the Battle of Blair Mountain, a time where, where miners in West Virginia and Pennsylvania actually went to war against the U.S. Army over labor issues, over their, their wages being cut, over firings, over dangerous work conditions. Here's Mary Jones, a.k.a. Mother Jones. Can you hear me back there? Yes. <laughs> I want you to be able to repeat everything I say to your daughter showed up to see what was going on. You don't know who I am. I'm Mary Harris Jones. But I'm called a lot of other names. Bolshevik, socialist, most dangerous woman in America, walking wrath of God, and Mother Jones. Yeah, but I'm used to the slander from the politicians and the press. Well, I'm here to tell you what's the God's truth. It doesn't matter what race, 
trade or political banner you stand under, we're all laborers, and we've got to stand together. If we don't, there's no hope for any of us. You've got to start using your brains, folks. You've got to start using your brain. The times are changing. Times are changing. The minds of man are changing in this country, around the world. All of this unrest, the miners upset. Why are they upset? What's the real cause? Why would they go out on strike for months on end? Why would they do it? Why would they do it? There's a new change to the mind. The politicians don't know about it because they don't have brains like ours. We're like the fella up in the lookout tower and he can see the smoke from a long ways off and he knows, he knows there's a wildfire coming. It's going to sweep across the county, across the state, across the United States and around the world and nothing's going to stop it. The Russians can't stop it. The Chinese can't stop it. Deportations can't stop it. We've got to stand together. That's our only hope, to organize and stand together. It's not the different races and religions that's causing all the trouble. No, it's those politicians and the press with their poison pens, writing poison, poisoning your minds. But you yourselves, you're men of honor, respectable, decent, hardworking, and you've let them come in and rob you blind. And you never said a damn word about it. You let them rob you. Oh, they smile at you and say, what a lovely job you're doing. But they're robbing you blind. They're coming in, taking your money and hiring armed guards to keep you in subjection. And what do you do about it? This is a great nation. And you've turned it over to the dollar thieves. You've turned it to the dollar thieves and now your children, your children have to fight your battles for you. Now's the time for the laborers to stand together in solidarity. The press is sown poison with their poison pens, but we're so in harmony with our solidarity. We've got to stand together. I want you to carry to your grave honor, dignity, and respect to your fellow man, for your fellow laborers, those that have God-given differences. Respect them. We can stand together and fight for fair wages, equality, and justice. Are you ready for fair wages? Yeah. Are you ready for equality? Yeah. Are you ready for justice? Yeah. Then rise up, levers. Rise up and show the world what the workers can do.
kiss of Mother Jones. Gloom and sorrow hovers around the miner's home. This grand old champion of labor was known in every land. She fought for right and justice. She took an the hills and through the valleys in every mining town mother jones was ready to help them she never turned them down on front with the striking miners she always could be found and received a hearty welcome in every mining town. She was fearless of every danger. was wrong she never gave up fighting until her breath was gone this noble leader of labor has gone to a better land while the hard working miners they miss a guiding the miners all work together to carry out her plan and bring back better conditions for every laboring man. That one was uh, Gene Autry, of all people. Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, starting out in the 30s with his horse champion. I can remember listening to Gene Autry on the radio. A lot of the comments here under this song are say that it's incongruous for him to sing this song. It was recorded in 1930. And he... Uh, Pardon me. Hello. Hello, Vita. Hello, Yemen. How you guys doing? Let me just finish my commentary here. Um, so Gene Autry singing about Mother Jones is not so incongruous after all. He came up the hard way and came from a mining family in Texas, even though he later became a multimillionaire and owner of a Major League Baseball team. Uh, Autry, in his younger years, um, sang this song honoring an American labor prophet, Mary June. Okay, so I've I've got um, Vita in Yemen, my uh, campus correspondence on the line now. 
How are you guys doing today? How's the weather up there in Davis? Uh-huh. Fine, fine. Having a good show today. It's, it's a nice day. It's sunny and a little chilly. Not bad. Nice, nice to walk around in. So um, I want to. First of all, I want to thank you for calling. It's been a while, and uh, we've missed you guys on this show. So I want to uh, ask you a question today um, about the future. Let's say in the future, um, you guys have children, okay? So as you're raising your children. What would be your advice? How would you talk to them about the social system and the power elites and the uh, the uh, exploitation of the many by the few? Is there some idea that you might like to leave them with as they grow up so they can be guided by it? Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. That sounds very, very nice. Okay, so Yemen, what about you? Certainly is. Certainly is a good one. Um, anything else that you'd like to add? I don't know. I think the world's going to be so different in the future with like the climate change and the people relocating, refugees, you know, um, environmental refugees, economic refugees. So, um, I mean, I don't know. I would definitely, I would just tell them to work hard and be smart and always be on their toes, really, because... I want, that's how I would want my kids to be, like, you know, to not believe things of the world and to think for themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely just 
you know, question, be, question everything. Yeah, be free thinkers. Well, great. Yeah. Thank you Thank very you. much. That was a good question. That was very interesting. It really tickled our brains. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's certainly a question that I've found in my life. You know, after you live a while, you look around and you say, now what, what have I done here that's important or what have I tried to do that was important? Yeah. And what happened to me that I thought was so important at the moment, but it turned out not to be important at all. Right. So, uh, well, I certainly appreciate you guys. And um, somebody up there has got a birthday coming up, right? Yeah. Yeah, next Tuesday. We'll have to make plans and see what we're going to do for your birthday. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, I was thinking of coming to the Bay like on Thursday evening or Friday or something. So I'll be down that way too, maybe. Okay. All so right. we'll talk though. We'll figure it out. <laughs> this isn't the time or the place. <laughs> right. And uh, okay. Yemen, thanks again for um, contributing your ideas. Oh, no, I, I really love being on here and, uh, you know, practicing my public speaking and all that. And I hope your listeners, you know, enjoy our content and, you know, and that you're, you continue to have us on. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll be on again next week. Nice. Sounds good. Okay. Okay, I'll talk to you later today. Okay, have a good day, you guys. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Okay, that was uh, Yemen and Vita, my campus correspondents from Davis, thinking a little bit about the future as I asked them to talk about what they would want their children to hear, what they want, how would they want their children to grow up, and what would they want their children to understand. Well, here's something I would definitely want my children to understand. Five things that are wrong with racism. With Francesca Ramsey, Chesca Lee, and... Um, got a challenge for you. Try talking about racism with your friends, family, or co-workers, and get ready to watch people squirm. So let's push through the discomfort. Don't worry, you can do it. We're going to talk about racism. Well, the dictionary defines racism as the hatred or intolerance of another race or races. Well, yes, but racism's a little more complicated than that. The dictionary offers a very simple explanation, because it's just the dictionary. If you want to understand racism, you need to talk sociology. And sociology explains racism as a combination of prejudice and power. <laughs> Well, isn't that just convenient? Let's just ignore what the dictionary says. No, we're not ignoring the dictionary, just going a little deeper. Think of it this way. If your car breaks down, you don't look up car in the dictionary to try and fix it, you go to a mechanic. So when it comes to getting the nitty gritty of understanding how racism works, I say we should probably defer to sociologists. Cause you know, they study how people, organizations and institutions work. It's kind of their job. So here are five things everyone should understand about racism. Ugh. 
talking about racism is so exhausting. It's like no matter what I do or what I say, someone's gonna call me a racist. Good people can unintentionally say and do racist things. Racism isn't just burning crosses and racial slurs. It's not always a conscious hatred or dislike. People automatically associate saying something racist with being a bad person. And while we can agree that being racist is bad, good people can say racist things or just wind up supporting racist institutions and practices without even realizing it. Oh, so now it's my fault if I accidentally do something. We're not playing the blame game here, but accidents can still be hurtful. It's important to remember that intent isn't the issue, it's the impact. Like if I accidentally step on your toe. It's an accident, but it still hurts. And I can't just pretend that I didn't step on your foot. I have to acknowledge it, say that I'm sorry, and be more careful with my big ass feet. If you wanna get technical, there's really no such thing as race. We are all the human race. It's a social construct. Race is a social construct, but that doesn't mean racism isn't real. A social construct is a category, perception, or idea created and developed by society, and then it's applied to individuals or groups. So yes, we're all part of the human race, but the human race did this funny thing where they categorized everyone based on skin tone and regions. Even though social constructs are made up, they're still real. I mean, money is a social construct. Fundamentally, it's just a piece of paper, but it still keeps people up at night and has a huge effect on our day-to-day -day lives. Marriage, fashion, good and evil, they're all social constructs, but they're still real things. The same is true for race. White, black, pink, purple, polka dots. I don't know why we need all of these labels. Let's just not see race, just see everyone the same. Colorblindness is not gonna fix racism. It's a good idea in theory, but ignoring race is not gonna solve racism. Race isn't the problem. Treating people differently based on race is the problem. It's okay to see my race. I mean, it's kind of hard to ignore how someone looks. There's nothing wrong with seeing our differences. Our differences make us kind of cool. Okay. But when are we gonna talk about reverse racism? Reverse racism is not a thing. I've been bullied, beaten up, and called all sorts of names in my lifetime, and you're gonna tell me that's not racism. Whoa, that sounds awful. I'm sorry, none of that stuff is okay. But those are examples of racial prejudice, not racism. That's because racism isn't just about individuals. It's about institutional power. Racial prejudice is not cool, but when a person of color discriminates or stereotypes a white person because of their race, in the United States, they don't have the institutional power to back them up and say that those feelings are okay. Institutions are things like schools, government, the military, corporations, and our justice system. All of these things shape how people of color are treated as a group and as individuals. That's because racism is not just on a person-to-person -person basis. It's big picture things, like people with traditionally Latino or black sounding names having a harder time getting job interviews, even when they have the same qualifications as white people applying for the same job. Or people of color facing harsher prison sentences for petty crimes in comparison to white criminals. It's also harder for people of color to get home loans on top of housing discrimination that often keeps them out of predominantly white neighborhoods. This is how individual feelings about people of color are supported by institutional power. Prejudice of any kind isn't okay, but it's important to understand that prejudice and racism aren't the same thing. Huh. I never thought about it like that. Well, you are not the only one. Racism is complicated and overwhelming to think about, even for me. But understanding what racism is and what it isn't is the first step in fighting against it. So what are some misconceptions that you've heard about racism? Or maybe some misconceptions that you had in the past? 
Let us know in the comments and we'll see you next week. In our last vlog, I went to VidCon and asked fans about racism and stereotypes on YouTube. Here are some of your comments. Yeah, Madrigal Kappas, there's nothing worse than being afraid of the police when you haven't done anything wrong. When I was in LA, I had to drive and the entire time I was looking over my shoulder like, I hope I'm not doing anything wrong. Lizzie Hayward, I love Swoozie. His Disney stories are hilarious. You camera 13, you've got really good taste. This is an awesome list. Some of my favorite YouTubers are on here, so you guys should definitely check them out. And in our last sketch, we wondered what some of our favorite movies would look like if they were starring black actors. Here's what you had to say. You know, Lola's 2011, I really want Idris to be James Bond too, but I heard he doesn't want to do it. Linda Mitchell, you are brave to want to go back to 1955, because there's no way I'm going back there. That was Tescali, uh, Francesca Ramsey, someone we referred to a lot on this show or have in the past. The two Francescas, Fiorentini and Ramsey. Okay, this is the B, and we're telling it, telling it at you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, every Saturday from 10 to 12 a.m., where the labor meets the road, and you hear music of social significance. have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do. Have created miracles. But it don't make sense when we can't make peace. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world, have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense.
at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Run! 
Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics, it's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe it's a cash cock honey <laughs> invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer. Burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. 
with a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. It goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Coming at these bitches and all these snitches hitting switches going back to bitches. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco state since 1975. chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs go to timstesseract.com read fiction about the future of san francisco after the water wars of 2121 in jane six ask a jedi for important life hacks eat flesh with the bear exoskeleton contessa and check your horror horoscope on horoscopia Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open 